Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad you're joining with us here in this series, Rooted, really looking at three core and key practices that if you put them into your life, that if you actually live them out, they will ground you in God, in goodness, in a really shaky and uncertain world. And we've looked at the importance of prayer, really to ground ourselves first in God, that we need to be praying so that we can hear him, connect with him, and be directed with him. And then we also took a look at caring and how this is what we are called to do for those around us. We are called to care for those of our family, friends, and neighbors in our community. We are called to be caring people as Christians. And then today what I want to take a look at is a new practice, one that is really kind of the bedrock and the foundation of Christianity. I want to take a look at the practice of sacrifice. That as we often talk about here at Bethany, that we believe that every single Christian is called to do three things. That we are called to daily be connecting up with God through prayer, through scripture reading, through worship, all of that. That we're also called to journey deeply with others. And then the third thing is that we are called to serve and sacrifice out in the community. And today what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about this theme and idea and topic of sacrifice. I want to talk about what it is, what it changes, and how we can practice it. That's what I want to take a look at today. What it is, what it changes, and how we can practice that. And to begin with, what I want to say is just this, and I think that this should be clear and obvious to Christians, is that in Christianity, sacrifice is not a minor theme, it is the foundation of Christianity, okay? That sacrifice in Christianity, it is the foundation of all that we do, or to put it differently, that without Jesus' death and resurrection, without his sacrifice, we would not be accepted, we would not be Christians, there would not be Christianity, that Christianity is founded on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And there are so many verses that point at this reality. I want to read to you just a few, okay? Just a few. In John, which we read a few weeks ago on our sermon on prayer, we read this. Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me, just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. In Romans 3.25, we read, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Or also in Romans, Romans 8.3, we read this, that God did what the law could not. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. That Jesus' sacrifice frees us from sin's control in our lives. Or also in Ephesians, we read this. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And in that passage, what we really see is that just as Christ has acted out of sacrifice, we as Christians are called to follow in the same example. But I think when it comes to this idea of sacrifice in our modern day and age, I think many of us, we almost have an aversion to the language or the imagery of sacrifice. That often in the Western Evangelical Church, we don't talk as much as we once did about like the blood of Jesus, about the sacrifice of Jesus, or some of the imagery here that is so clearly scriptural. And so today, if you have any, I don't know, aversion to this kind of language, what I want to state really clearly is whether we are uncomfortable with this kind of language, it's just this, that in our everyday lives, what you have probably realized and what I have realized and actually experienced is that sacrifice is necessary. Because what sacrifice does, follow with me, what sacrifice does is it mends, it heals, and it fixes broken relationships. That if there is something that is broken in someone or in the world or anything, that what is required for there to be some healing, what is required for there to be some mending, what is required for there to be some reconciliation is actually sacrifice. 
that what sacrifice does, it is the first step in reconciliation and healing any hurt, brokenness, sin, trauma, or difficulty. And I think that if you've had any kind of relationships, you've likely realized this. That if you're in a marriage, what you know is that for there to be reconciliation after a fight, right, there has to be sacrifice in some way, shape, or form. That someone has to say sorry first, right? And that if you don't, that fight will just go on forever. That what I think all parents likely get is the importance of sacrifice and how when you sacrifice for like your kids, what you're really doing is you are giving to them so that they might be healthy and whole. Or if you've ever had a really deep and uh, difficult conflict with someone, what you know is that that conflict never gets magically just restored. That there needs to be sacrifice for there to be reconciliation. That when it comes to this idea of sacrifice, that even though we may be uncomfortable with it in Western language, is that practically when it comes to our lived realities, what we know is that for there to be anything that is fixed, that is broken, there needs to be sacrifice. And I think we've seen this even culturally most recently. That on Thursday, it was the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. And here's what I believe. That I believe that as long as settlers are unwilling to practice any sacrifice, to actually bear any cost, that the hurt and trauma that indigenous people both feel and have felt, the injustice that they have faced and continue to face, that it will not be healed, that there will not be reconciliation. That follow with me. You know, just good thoughts and good prayers are not enough. That when it comes to really deep hurt, to deep trauma, and to deep brokenness, what there needs to be is a willingness to sacrifice, to bear cost, for there to actually be any mending. And so I think when it comes to the day of national truth and reconciliation, what it should be a reminder for all of us if we are settlers is that we need to be willing to sacrifice for there to be some healing and reconciliation. There needs to be some bearing of cost. That that's really what sacrifice does. That sacrifice, what it does is it actually is a way for there to be a mending of broken relationships and it's required. And that's what we see actually throughout the Bible. That's what we see actually with Jesus's death and resurrection, that his sacrifice is the first step to our relationship with God being mended, being fixed, being healed, and for there to be forgiveness and freedom. That's what sacrifice does. And so I wanna explore this idea of sacrifice a little bit deeper. And to do that today, I wanna to turn to a passage that in many ways, it is quite deep, it's quite dense, the logic is a little bit kind of all over the place, it can be difficult to follow, but it really does matter for us. I want to take a look today at Hebrews 10. So if you have your Bibles, open them up there to really start to explore three things. I want to explore what sacrifice is, what it changes, and then how we can practice it. That's what we want to take a look at today. You know, what sacrifice is, what it changes, and how we can practice it. And to do that, we're going to take a look, as I said, in Hebrews 10. Now, if you aren't familiar with the book of Hebrews, you're not the only one, okay? I think Hebrews is a book that is often forgotten, mainly because Hebrews really, as I said, has some really dense imagery. It can be difficult to follow the logic, and there are lots of what are called allusions and Old Testament passages and images that are quite culturally distant from us. But if we learn and we start to pay attention, what we will notice is really what sacrifice is and what it changes. And so I wanna begin really just in Hebrews 10, working through the majority of the chapter here today to explore this idea of sacrifice and why it is needed in your life and why it's needed in mine. So I wanna begin by reading it here together, okay? So we read this. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. Here the author is getting at the fact 
that when you continually go and offer sacrifices for sin, it reminds you of your sin. So he says this, for it is not possible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but have given me a body to offer. You were pleased, uh, you were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings of sin. Then I said, look, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings of sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. And then he said, look, I've come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to place into effect the second. And as I said, I think this is why many people skip the book of Hebrews. Because in many ways, the imagery and some of the allusions and some of the discussions can be difficult to follow or quite unfamiliar. But I want to actually take a look at it. Because specifically in this passage, what we learn is really what a sacrifice does and why it was instituted. So to help us understand what sacrifice is, for something that's quite unfamiliar, I think, to many of us in the modern Western world, okay, I want us to take a moment and to imagine, imagine you lived 2,000 years ago. Imagine you lived in Jesus' day and age. Imagine you lived in that kind of world. And if you were to place yourself, like, you know, thousands of years ago, what you'd likely start to notice is this, okay, that your life, in many ways, is very precarious, right? That your life, in many ways, is very precarious. That there are many forces around you that can hurt and harm you that you cannot control, okay? That there are many forces that can hurt and harm you that you cannot control. Think of things like the weather, like drought or storms, things that are massively uh, caused, you know, death and difficulty, you know, thousands of years ago. Think of things like disease that you wouldn't have much idea over or how to actually meet it or fight it or anything like that. Think about also forces like demons and spirits and all that sort of thing. Because thousands of years ago, every single person just agreed that there were spiritual forces that could hurt and harm you. And so in a world like that, you could imagine then some of the pressure people might feel. And I want to ask you psychologically a really important question. I think that comes to understanding why sacrifices matter so much. Imagine you live in a world like that, okay? And then imagine that you actually broke the laws of God. Imagine that you kind of go against what you're supposed to do. You break some sort of law, you break some sort of taboo. Maybe you cheat, maybe you lie, maybe you steal. And then imagine very next, imagine this. Imagine all of a sudden next then your son or daughter becomes ill. Or imagine that your livestock starts producing. Or imagine instead that there's like a pestilence on your plants and all of that sort of thing. Here's the question I wanna ask you, okay? And I want you to consider this. Imagine you're 2000 years ago or something like that, okay? Psychologically, here's the question you would actually be forced to kind of wrestle with or to reckon with. It'd be this. How would you know that if you did something wrong and then you encountered some difficulty, how would you know that that was coincidence and not God's punishment? Okay? That's what I invite you to think about for a second. How would you know, right, if you stole, if you cheated, if you actually, you know, did something terrible and then all of a sudden your son or daughter falls sick, how would you know that that's just random coincidence and not the punishment of God? In a world where there are so many forces beyond your control, how would you have any assurance, actually, that when you face something difficulty, it's not judgment, it's not consequences, it's not condemnation from God above? How would you know that? And the answer is, you likely wouldn't, actually. There would be this tremendous psychological pressure that if you did something wrong and then you encountered something, you know, terrible, a difficulty, a drought, a sickness, disease, you would instantly almost make the link that you caused it. That's what was happening for people, you know, thousands of years ago. There was this causal link between their actions they did and all of a sudden the consequences they might see around them. Or to put it a little bit differently, let's say you do something awful and something terrible and you actually do something that breaks God's laws. How would you fix it? 
right? Like we know how to fix something with a neighbor. You can go and, you know, explain what you did. You can confess, you can make it right. How do you fix something with God? This is where the practice of sacrifices came in. That what sacrifices did was they provided a way for people to know that they were at peace with God. They provided a way for people to feel forgiveness for God. They provided a way for people to connect with God. And this is why then when it comes to sacrifices, follow with me because this is different than we normally think about it. Okay, that when it comes to sacrifices, they were not instituted, demanded, or needed by God. They were instituted and needed by us as human beings. I want to say that again because this is important for us to consider and to think through. Often we think that God demanded the practice of sacrifice, but that's untrue. That God did not demand or need sacrifices. We as human beings did. We needed a way to make sure that we knew we were good with God, at peace with him, to actually connect with him. That's what sacrifices provided. God never wanted it, demanded it, or needed it. And that's actually really clear in this passage. Listen to what was said. It says, For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings of sin for sin. That God wasn't pleased with it. He didn't need it. It becomes explicitly clear in verse 8. For Christ said this, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them. That God didn't want them. That God didn't need them. But we as human beings did. Because what sacrifices did when they were actually practiced, what they did was this, was they provided freedom from feelings of guilt, condemnation, and judgment. That's what sacrifices did. That's why they mattered. They provided freedom from guilt, judgment, and a feeling of condemnation. We actually read this in the passage, that that was the purpose of them. That if they were actually done correctly, it says that they would actually provide cleansing, or there would be freedom from feelings of guilt, they would disappear. But the problem with sacrifices was you had to continually do it again and again and again. You were never really sure where you stood with God. That was some of the problem with this practice. And in fact, the author gets at that as well. He says the sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but were never able to provide the perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. So this is what sacrifices were meant to do. They were meant to actually be a way for you to find freedom and to restore relationships with God to actually feel some connection and some depth. But this is then where Jesus comes in. That he comes in and he does something radically different. That rather than follow with me, rather than us as human beings offering a sacrifice to God for our relationship, what ends up happening is God comes and he offers a sacrifice for us, for our relationship, that he brings us into connection with him. That Jesus' death and resurrection and his sacrifice, it changes everything. And so what I wanna do is I wanna take a look at the rest of this passage here together. And what we're going to see is not only what sacrifice is meant to do, that it's meant to restore broken relationships. That's what it's meant to do, right? To restore and to find freedom from guilt, from shame, from condemnation. But we're also going to see three things that Jesus' death and resurrection, that his sacrifice, that it changes. And what it changes is the status of someone. What it changes is forgiveness. And what it changes for us is welcome and inclusion. So I want to work through the rest of the passage, seeing and noticing those three things and how uh, sacrifice provides and changes so much. So we read this, starting in verse 10. So God's will uh, was for all of us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant and the old way of doing things, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time, once for all time. And then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. 
and there he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he made perfect those who are being made holy. And as I said, I know that the language of Hebrews can be quite distant from us. It can be quite dense and unfamiliar in many ways. But if we pay attention, what we'll see in this passage is just really this, is that what Jesus' sacrifice does for us, what it changes for us, is that it proves our worth and our standing, and it changes our worth and our standing. Okay, I want to say that again, that what Jesus' sacrifice does for us, it changes our standing, and it actually proves our worth and our standing. That the first thing that we read is that when Jesus died and resurrected, that when he gave his life as a sacrifice for us, what it did was it changes us. His sacrifice changes us. It makes us holy. It makes us new. It makes us transformed. Listen to how the author puts it. He says, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. That we are changed into being holy people. Or he also says this at the end, for by that one offering, he forever made perfect. He forever made perfect those who are being made holy. That what Jesus' death and resurrection does, that what his sacrifice does, is it changes our status. It changes who we are. It alters us. Because remember, sacrifice is always the first step in mending a broken relationship and in actually seeing change. And Jesus' death and resurrection, it does that. It changes who we are that what it means is, is that if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you trust in him, if you know him, here's what it means. It means that you are made new. It means that you are holy, that you are pure, that you are welcomed, and that you are loved. That is what it means. That Jesus' death and resurrection has proven this and has actually changed who you are. That you are holy, you are pure, you are welcomed, you are good, and you are loved. This is what the scripture teaches us. This is now who you are. You are not your old patterns. You are not your old ways of living. You are not in your old, broken, dead-end ways of living. Instead, you are made new. And I think that this matters for us. That what we need to remember is that Jesus' sacrifice has changed who we are. So regardless of what other people may say about you, regardless of what you might feel, regardless of other people say that you're you know, not worth it or whatever, Jesus' death and resurrection has changed who you are and it also proves that you matter. Because when Christ died for all of us, he also died for you. So what this means then is that you matter to God, is that you matter to Jesus, is that he was willing to go through all that he did for you and for me, that what sacrifice does is it not only changes our standing, It also proves our standing. It proves that we matter. It proves that we matter to God. And this should help us. So what we see with sacrifice in this passage is that first, first what it changes is it changes our status and it proves our status. It proves that we matter to God. And then secondly, what we're going to see is that it also is an act of freedom and forgiveness. I want to continue reading. And we read this. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. And then he says this, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. That I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. And here again, there are lots of quotes from the Old Testament, but here's the big idea, that when Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice, this was an offering for our forgiveness and our freedom, that no longer are sins remembered, that no longer are sins counted, that Jesus' death and resurrection, that his sacrifice was so strong, so powerful, so world-changing, that it provides forgiveness and freedom for all of us. That as uh, the passage says, that I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. Because this is just true, okay? 
All sin causes a rift. It causes a debt. It causes separation. But what sacrifice does is it pays that debt. It brings people close again. It restores and reconciles. And because of that, then now God can say that I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. That what sacrifice does is it provides forgiveness and freedom. And then the last thing I want to take a look at what sacrifice does is that it actually also creates welcome and inclusion. Okay, so we read this. And we're just following through with the rest of the text. It says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened up a new and a life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. And again, there's lots of images that we could get into, but the main one I want to point to is just this, that Jesus' sacrifice is an act of welcome and inclusion. That Jesus' sacrifice is an act of welcome and inclusion. That because of Jesus sacrificing his life for you, for me, for the entire world, we can now boldly enter into God's presence. We can now go right up to him knowing that we are holy and purified and that we are wanted and welcomed. That what we can do is what we now have assurance to truly go to God with trust, with love, with a wanting and a desire. That what we know that what we know because of Jesus' sacrifice is that we are wanted, welcomed, and worthy to go into God's presence because of what he has done for us. That what sacrifice does is it actually is an act of welcome and inclusion. That when someone sacrifices for someone else, it is actually bringing that person closer. That's what sacrifice does. And that's what Jesus' death and sacrifice does in the most excellent way is that it actually provides a way for you and for me to go closer to God, to boldly go into his presence, to trust in him fully with sincere hearts, to be welcomed into the most holy place. So what does this kind of mean for us all? Because I know, as I said, Hebrews is dense, and it's a beautiful book that if we take our time with it, we can learn deeper and we can see what God is doing. And here, when it comes to the idea of sacrifice, what I think we see is really a number of things. The first, what sacrifice does is it restores and mends broken relationships. That's what sacrifice does. It restores and mends broken relationships. And with our relationship with God, we needed a sacrifice to restore and to mend it. But instead of us offering a sacrifice to God to do that, God offers a sacrifice for us to welcome us in. That's what sacrifice does. And then what does sacrifice change? Well, you notice three things in this passage that sacrifice changes, actually. What it does is it first changes your status, that you are made holy. It then proves your status and your worth that regardless of what anyone else says, you matter because Christ died for you. And then not only that, does it change our status and does it actually prove our status? Uh, Sacrifice is also an act of freedom and forgiveness. That because of sacrifice, that sin, that rift, that debt has been paid. And that as the passage says, that God will no longer remember our sin and lawless deeds. Or thirdly, what we see too within this is that sacrifice is an act of welcome and inclusion. That when you sacrifice for someone, it welcomes them in. It proves that they are wanted and worthy to be a part of what is happening and that Christ has done this for us. So with all of this, what is my main point today? My main point is just this, okay? That when it comes to sacrifice, we need to do two things, okay? That first, we need to trust in Jesus' sacrifice and we need to follow in his example of sacrifice, okay? That's my main point, that we need to trust in Jesus' sacrifice and follow in his example of sacrifice, 
that what Jesus has done is he has welcomed us, he has freed us, he has changed our status, but we need to trust in him. We need to place our faith in him. So today, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you should get to know him. Choose to follow him, choose to accept him, choose to place your trust within him because it literally changes everything. But then secondly with that, secondly that we need to not only trust in Jesus' sacrifice, we need to follow in his example of sacrifice. That when we have received this, we need to show this. That when we have received this, we need to live this out. And the author of Hebrews makes that clear, actually. He makes that incredibly clear. He teaches us about Jesus' sacrifice, and then the very next thing he does is he calls us to practice sacrifice. Let me read to you uh, the very next passage. He says this, very next verse. Let us hold tightly then, without wavering, to the hope we affirm. That's the trusting in God and what he has done through Christ. He says, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. And he says this then, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. That's practicing sacrifice. And he says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but to encourage one another, especially now on the day of his return is drawing near. And here, right after teaching about Christ's sacrifice, the author of Hebrews calls us to practice it. He says, let us do love, let us do works of love and good works, right? Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. He says, let's not give up gathering together. Let's make sure that's a priority. He says, let us not neglect our meeting together. And then he calls us to encourage one another. He says, but encourage one another, especially now. And then just a few verses later, what he will do, he will call us back to this theme of sacrifice again with these words. He says, therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. That's trusting in Jesus. And then he says this, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. This is what we are called to do. That once we have received from Jesus, we need to show sacrifice with those around us. Because here's what I deeply believe, okay? I've staked my entire life really on this. That if the world is to be changed, do you want to know how I believe it'll be changed? It'll be changed through sacrifice. That's how Jesus Christ changed the world. And that's how we are called to join him in changing the world. We need to practice sacrifice. That what this means is that we need to put aside our privileges. We need to put aside our rights and freedoms. We need to put other people first and to practice sacrifice just as Jesus did. That what this passage teaches us really clearly is that we need to trust in Jesus' sacrifice, but then we also need to practice it as well. We need to follow in his example as he is our model, as he is our example that we are to pattern our lives after. So practically then, Practically, then, what does it mean to actually practice sacrifice? That if it changes everything like we've seen, if it changes and welcomes people, if it changes your status, if it provides freedom, how then do we follow in Jesus's pattern and practice of sacrifice? Well, obviously we're gonna share more on this, but today what I wanna do is I wanna give you three ideas. Three ideas that are found in this uh, passage itself. Three ideas found in the verses here about how you might practice the important rhythm of actually sacrificing for those around you. And the first one that I want to point out is just uh, has to do with this word that I want to say with margin. But here's what I believe. That when it comes to the practice of sacrifice, when it comes to giving and serving those around you, when it comes to actually being a part of what God is doing in the world, here's what I think most often kills and stops it, okay? It's busyness, actually. It's busyness. That what busyness does is it shrinks our ability to practice sacrifice. It actually kind of cuts it out of our lives. That follow with me. If... When it comes to following Jesus, we are so busy, our time is so full that we have no extra space to practice sacrifice, we don't do it. 
that if we are going to actually follow in Jesus' example of sacrifice, I think we need time and space in our weeks and our schedules in our lives to actually do the hard work and the necessary work of practicing sacrifice for those around us. That if, if when it comes to following Jesus, the only time you're actually available for someone is like on a Tuesday in November, you know, in the next like six or eight weeks, like that's not a good sign, right? There won't be the ability then for us to actually follow through with this. So my first step to being able to actually practice this calling of being someone who is sacrificial is just this, is that we need to create margin in our time. We need to create space in our schedules. We need free time to be able to actually follow Jesus well. So what I wanna challenge you with is this. I wanna challenge you with to create some space in your schedule, to create some space and some margin in your life. And I won't speak for you, but I'll speak for me. When I was preparing the sermon, that point really spoke to me. And I was actually quite convicted with it because I don't know about you, but I felt like just September has just flown by. I felt like it was so busy. I felt like there's just stuff every single night, every single day. It just seems so packed full. And when our lives become with that, what often ends up falling by the wayside is actually us noticing God and then following through on the practice of sacrificing for those around us. So I want to challenge you to actually create margin in your life. And I think that this matters now more than ever. Because in COVID-19, even as things, you know, kind of continue moving forward, whatever else, that because of how much we have lost, and we have lost a lot, there is a pressure now to fill up our time even extra and even more. Like go on another vacation, find more time with friends, you know, put your kid in another program that they missed out on last year, whatever it is. There is a, a tendency and a pressure to fill the space to the brim. And I want to challenge you not to do that. Because to follow in the process of Jesus means we need time and space to practice sacrifice. So the first thing is, is to create margin. The second one then is I want to really encourage you and I want to challenge you directly to not give up on meeting with other Christians. I think that this matters. If you want to practice sacrifice, this is one of the things we need to continue to do. We actually need to gather together. Listen to how uh, the author of Hebrews puts it. He says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of Christ's return is drawing near. He encourages us to continue to gather together. And I think uh, one of the clear things is, is he says this, as uh, let us not neglect meeting together as some people do. And why do some people neglect meeting together? Because it's easier not to. It's easier not to make it a priority. It's easier not to sacrifice for it. And I want to challenge you to continue to make gathering together with other Christians a priority in your life. And when the author of Hebrews here says, do not neglect meeting together, I want to be unequivocally clear about this, okay? What he is not expecting and what he is not thinking about is our weekend services like we have here. This is not what he is thinking about. Instead, what he is thinking about is most often what happens for us in a space like home churches, where all of a sudden you're gathering together with people that you know deeply, where there is food shared, where there are stories that are shared, where there are prayers that are offered, and where there is encouragement that is given back and forth. That what the author of Hebrews has in mind here is not large gatherings, but small ones with committed Christians that you are actually journeying together with. And so I want to encourage you to make this a priority in the season, to not neglect gathering with others. If you aren't a part of a home church, today is the day to really start one and to be a part of it, to reach out. Because I know that it's never been easier to say no and to not make community a priority. But this is one of the sacrifices I believe we are called to make if we were to actually change the world. We need to do that together. So we see the importance of margin, we see the importance of community, and then my last step is just this, if we want to actually practice sacrifice, is that we need to serve and share with those around us. That we need to serve and share with those around us. 
Look at what the author says. He says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good deeds. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good deeds. That if we've received sacrifice from Jesus, if we've been welcomed because of him, this should motivate us to love and good deeds with others. He also makes it explicitly clear in this verse. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. If you want to know what it pleases God with, it's just really there. It's that clear. It's don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. And I think that this is becoming harder and harder in our society because in so many ways, we are actually shaped and formed to be self-focused. But here what the author of Hebrews wants us to do is that as we are changed by Jesus' sacrifice, to make the focus others and to sacrifice for them. And so that's what we are called to do. We are called to share with those in need. We are called to sacrifice for those in need. And so practically, what does this look like? Well, I think it actually looks like all the things we talked about last week. It looks like prayer. It looks like listening. It looks like showing up. It looks like remembering. It looks like feeding. It looks like looking around us and seeing what need is there and how can we give? How can we serve? How can we support? How can we encourage others? Now, obviously, we can't do this like recklessly with no discernment. We can't seek to meet every need that we see. It also is incredibly unwise for us to pretend that we can fix other people. Andy Stanley once said something that has actually really resonated with me and has lasted and has lingered. He said this, that in a world that is incredibly complex with lots of people and lots of needs, he said this, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. That you cannot meet all of the needs in St. Catharines or even in this church or even in your home church, but you can hopefully walk alongside someone to serve and sacrifice for someone. That you can do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. I think that is our calling. I think it's our calling to see those in need and say, how can I support? Sometimes that's prayer. Sometimes that's listening. Sometimes that's a meal. Sometimes it's just showing up. I want to encourage you to make other people the focus, to really sacrifice for those around you. So what is my main point today? My main point is really simple. It's actually that we need to trust in Jesus' sacrifice and follow in his practice of sacrifice. And then how do we do that? Well, I gave you three ways. To actually create margin, right? To prioritize community and then to give and to share to those around you. I think this is what we are called to do because as I said at the very, very beginning, that Christianity is founded on sacrifice. And this is what I want to invite you to do and what I want to practice in my own life as well because I only believe that it is through serving and sacrificing out in our community that the world will be changed. And that right now, that is what Jesus is active doing and that we have the opportunity to join with him in sacrificing for those around us. So with that, would you join with me in prayer today? God, I pray, might we continue to trust in your sacrifice. And if we haven't, Lord, if we haven't accepted you, I pray that today would be the day that we do that so that we might be changed, so that we might be made holy and so that we might be finding forgiveness and freedom from you. And so, Lord, I ask, might we continue to trust in you? But then I also ask, would you give us the courage to follow you? to actually prioritize those around us, to serve and sacrifice in our community, to create margins so that we might be able to join with you in what you are doing. I pray, God, will we be known not for just what we are against. I pray, God, instead we will be known for how we sacrifice for those around us. And I ask this all in the wonderful name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.